Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. Yes, indeed, we still have this particular message up on our sign in front of our offices here on the Inglewood Church campus. And it's because as we come this day to Jesus' blessing on those who are pure of heart, that they would see God, we recognize that it's not unrelated to Jesus' blessing on those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and indeed those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy that those things go together. And so as we open ourselves up to Jesus' words this morning, let's just ask him that we would see who he is, who we are, and his blessing offered to us. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, in the midst of the hustle bustle of the world around us, We take this time right now to sit with these words of yours, these words of blessing that come from you. That the pure of heart will see you. Open our eyes that this would be true of us. Purify our hearts that we may experience this. We pray because you've come to us, to save us, rescue us, heal us. Amen. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I dare say there's not a single one of us who does not feel deeply the dislocation and disruption of this past year and a half the deep loss that we have all experienced to to greater or or lesser degrees have made every single one of us ask, what does it look like to live a life that's resilient when life just throws stuff at you? What does a beautiful life look like when the world is just nuts? And that's what Jesus is answering here in the Sermon on the Mount when he's pronouncing these blessings. Blessing not in the sense of some trite compliment, but 
What does a rich and full and beautiful life look like? And so Jesus gives us his version that the kingdom of heaven actually belongs to those who recognize that they bring nothing, but God has everything and gives freely. That those are most comforted who most recognize the brokenness of our own hearts and the world around us. That in fact, it's the merciful who receive mercy, as we saw last week. And those who are most fulfilled aren't the ones who have it all together. It's those who hunger and thirst for a rightness that we simply do not experience yet. And we come this week to Jesus pronouncing a blessing on the pure in heart. And just like the other times, this does just seem a little off, doesn't it? I mean, this is just Jesus messing with us, isn't it? I mean, because what we expect a religious teacher to say, much like the people back then expected a religious teacher to say, is blessed are the pure. Folks back in Jesus' time and plenty of people around us now are very focused on what does it mean to be pure and right. The rabbis back then focused especially on the purity of digging into scripture. And Jesus was a big fan of the Bible, by the way. But the rabbis of the time really emphasized the quantity of how much of the scripture you would memorize. And in fact, uh, boys were expected, especially, to memorize large portions of the Bible. And rabbis back then, and many pastors now, uh, emphasize, and again, with some rightness, which again, Jesus affirmed, that God calls us into obedience and, and measured their purity by the strictness with which they could follow the rules. But notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the pure, full stop. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Which is a much, um, much tougher thing to measure, yeah? I mean, because I, I can know when I tell a lie or tell the truth, usually. I, I'm pretty aware of those things, yeah? And, and I'm guessing so are you. <laughs> there are other commandments. I know exactly when I've broken them and when I haven't. But Jesus aims at the heart. And while I may know when my motives are relatively more pure and relatively less pure, the people around me may or may not. And even I can sometimes deceive myself. And yet this is the blessing he pronounces. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That said, as much as Jesus is kind of messing with us here, let's clear up one thing right away. Jesus is not saying blessed are the pure in their feelings. Now it's true, in English nowadays, when we say my heart is in it, we, we tend to be focused on the more emotive parts of our being, yeah? But if Jesus was saying, blessed are the pure in their feelings, it would both be kind of too easy and honestly impossible. Too easy because my feelings are just kind of my feelings, right? I mean, as long as I'm in touch with my feelings, we're okay. So we would commonly think and impossible because 
let's be honest, we're not fully in control of our feelings. We can shape them and mold them, nurture them over time, but they kind of, they are what they are. No, 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 no. When Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for the ancients, and in particular the ancient Hebrews, the heart was the center of the person. So feelings, yes, absolutely. Emotions, yes, absolutely. But the heart was also thought of as the thinking organ. So blessed are those who are pure in their feelings, but also their thinking, their affections, but also their cognition, their mode of thought and what we want and long for. And a third aspect, not just feelings, not just thoughts, but also our will, what we want, our volition. The heart was the very center of the whole being. Jesus might well have put it in modern terms like this. Blessed are those who are pure at their core. Which may raise more questions for us than answers, and that's okay. Questions are good. Commentators throughout history went trying to grapple with what does it mean to be pure at our core, pure in our being, given that we clearly aren't, have pointed to the fact that, you know, this is number six in the series. And so being pure at our core must at least mean poverty of spirit, mourning sin, being meek, meaning using our strength with gentleness towards others, hungering and thirsting for rightness, mourning what's gone wrong with the world. Surely being pure at a core must reflect those things as well, but they've also picked up that Jesus is almost certainly cribbing from Psalm 24 here, a psalm that begins with a blessing for God as creator of the whole earth and what do we get when we read Psalm 24? Well, it begins with a ringing enforcement that the whole earth is rightfully the Lord's and everyone who lives in it also. Meaning, yes, the world is in rebellion against God. That's why we read in the Gospel of John that God so loved the world that he gave his son. There's a redemption of the world, but the world rightfully all belongs to God and he loves it. Which means whatever purity of heart is, purity at our core, it's not actually a rejection of the world. It's going to look like self-giving for the sake of the world, like, like God does. But Psalm 24 continues with a description of, well, you'll hear the echo of Jesus' statement from Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, reads Psalm 24. Verse three, who will stand in God's holy place? In other words, who will rightfully experience God in the temple, this place of promised blessing in Jerusalem on Mount Zion? One, we continue on in verse four, one who has clean hands and a pure heart. You'll recognize Jesus echoing that. Who does not lift up their soul to what is false that one will receive a blessing from the Lord. And notice this as well. You will hear people say things like, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible is all about obedience and the New Testament is all about grace. Don't believe a word of it. 
same God involved all the way through history, always loving us. And notice this in Psalm 24, clean hands, meaning, you know, what we do with our hands, obedience, following God, trusting that he has our good in mind when he gives us instruction like any good mother or father is going to do. And purity of heart, that our motives and who we are at the core of our being winds up with what we do. God has never, ever, ever been about simply us doing a list of things. He's always been about winning our affections back to him. Again, like any good parent wants for their children to have right relationship restored. Let's bring this all home, shall we? There's one extra aspect of what Jesus is saying here that is going to be super helpful in that Jesus does not say, blessed are the sinless in heart, even though in our minds now when we hear this, it's often, you know, where we can go. What Jesus does say is, blessed are the pure in heart, the clean in heart, the clean at our core. And for the people listening to Jesus say these words on the side of the mountain, his disciples, the crowds, cleanness, purity had an extra meaning that it doesn't really have for most of us in that for temple worship, for some of the formal aspects of life encountering God, there were certain things that aren't wrong, morally wrong, they aren't sin, but are part of the world gone wrong, part of the corruption and death and decay of the world that to emphasize God's renewal, God invited his people to come out of and be clean on a regular basis. And so, for instance, yeah, you touch a dead body of an animal or a person, it's not wrong, you gotta take care of things, but you were very temporarily unclean, impure, on the outside. If you get mold or mildew in your house or your clothing, you are ritually impure, unclean. Again, very temporarily, but you needed to wash and take care of things before you came to the temple to see God. Certain bodily discharges. Again, you need to wash and become clean before you come and worship formally with the larger gathering. And on and on, a number of other things. And here's where I find this super helpful in hearing the fullness of what Jesus invites us into, that blessed, happy, fortunate are the pure, the clean at our core, because they will see God. In our daily experience, there's a bunch of things, not just our sin and our moral evil, that wear at us, pull our vision away from God, pull our hearts away from God, turn our core away from the things, the good things that he would have for us. Just recently heard another speaker break it down like this, and I found it super helpful that the things that pull us away from God, yes, includes our sin. When we do wrong and make evil choices and choose wickedness in our hearts, it separates us from, from God. So the, the solution to that is to repent. The moment we do and simply confess and let go and, God, I did it, promises we're cleansed, we're made clean. Because that sin, that wrong, that evil that we've done and participated in is now on Jesus in our place. But here's the thing, it's not just our sin that 
separates us from God. Our wounding can pull us away from seeing him as well. It's not just what we've done, it's been <laughs> what has been done to us. And let's, a moment's reflection, wounding calls for healing. And this too is promised. Jesus bears our sorrows. By his wounds, we are healed. And so yes, physical healing, but also the wounds of the heart. And so when things have been done to us, bring those things to God in prayer. Press into community with others who also know God and are known by him. Lots of our healing comes in relationship with sisters and brothers in this new family of God. And best of all, perhaps, is come in prayer with sisters and brothers to bring a particular wound to God in prayer with others. The vulnerability of sharing that with another person and bringing those things to God and asking for his healing. Friends, healing is offered to us. Let's take God up to be free from our sin and healed from what's been done to us. And then one more. Our sin, our wounds, but also our weakness. And when we're weak, when the muscles are flabby, we need physical therapy. We need to go to the gym. We need to work out. If our cardio is down, let's get on the treadmill. If we need bigger biceps, we're going to do some curls. You can tell I don't do this nearly as much, but I know it's true because I have experienced it. And so it is in our spiritual life. In fact, this very word, gymnasium, is used in the New Testament in a variety of ways. We need training. We need strengthening because we are weak and God offers this to us. And here it's the, the rhythms of daily and weekly life, gathering with God's people, time in scripture and prayer with God, eating our meals with thanksgiving, following God's invitation into rest, rest at night and rest on a Sabbath that we set aside to simply be and know that we're not in control, we're not sovereign over our lives, but God is and we can rest. And it's these daily and weekly rhythms that are the gymnasium for our soul, our heart, our core, and give us a purity and cleanness of heart with which we can increasingly see God, and all of which is a gift from Jesus. At that last meal Jesus had with his disciples, there in the upper room, the Gospel of John tells us these long conversations that he had that night, and among other things, there was the incident of the foot washing where Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet, but Jesus says, no, I'm going to wash your feet, and then Peter says, well, if you have to, then, then wash all of me. And Jesus responds, well, if you've already been bathed and made clean all over, then really you only need to wash your hands and your feet and you're restored again. And a little bit later, Jesus says that his words have cleaned them and his life being with them has made them pure. And in that context, Jesus uses the image of God the Father as a gardener that cleans the branches 
on the vine so that they bear more fruit. I know most English translations use the word prunes there, but in Greek it's the same word, cleans, that Jesus uses for cleanness of heart here in our passage in the Beatitudes. Cleanness in any respect, in the core of our being, is a gift from God. The invitation to repentance is a gift. The fact that Jesus has taken our sin is a gift. The healing for our wounds is a gift offered to his loved children. And strength in exchange for our weakness is a gift of Jesus again. Friends, in whatever ways our sight has been dimmed and pulled away from God, Turn to him in repentance, in asking for healing, in asking for strength, in giving up our weakness. Receive all these things as a gift so that in a daily increasing purity at our core, we may increasingly see the God who loves us. Amen.